0: Oh my god, what is that? Ah right, that's your alarm, of course. Awesome. It was a late night, and this is an early morning. But it's all good, there's coffee waiting for you. Your smart espresso machine knows your alarm clock just went off, and it's busy brewing a lovely frothy double espresso. Like a zombie, you shuffle into the kitchen, which is pitch black. And that's weird, because your light should have come on when your alarm clock went off. The whole home's connected. But you shake that off and turn on the lights with your own hand like some kind of cave person. And then you see it, an empty espresso cup. And now you feel the panic set in. You start checking other things in your connected home. Your geezer hasn't cranked up for your morning shower. And your smart TV hasn't switched itself onto the weather channel like it usually does. Instead, across your massive plasma screen is just text. All bold and way overdone. And it says 50k in bitcoin to unlock your smart home. You have 4 hours. Oh, and of course, there's like a countdown timer, which is just so cheesy. Hello, welcome to ESG Now. I'm your host, Bentley Kaplan. This is going to be one of our long-form episodes, where we get a little deeper into one topic and take the longer road. On today's show... We're going to pull on a dark hoodie and get into the murky, mucky world of hacking. This idea of someone just using a bit of code and a laptop to remotely get access to your device. In some cases, the ones you use to run your life, or let's face it, the ones that run your life for you, like a phone or a computer. And in a world where all our devices are getting smart and connected, hackers really seem to be spoiled for choice. And maybe they'll be spending so much time wondering if they can hack a coffee machine, that they won't even stop to ask if they should. But the more I started chipping away at scary stories about devices getting hacked, the more I realized that investors have got something else to be worrying about. Something much more insidious. You see, for investors and the companies they're betting on, a new frontier of risk is opening up. Cybersecurity is becoming something that not only spy agencies are worrying about, but car makers and healthcare companies, telecom providers and even banks. And where risks are variable and consequences can range from pesky to fatal, it's not easy to know where your focus should be. Through this episode, we're going to sort some of the noise from the signal. We'll start by asking what is getting hacked. But ultimately, we're going to finish by asking why things are getting hacked and critically what that means for companies and investors. Not only that, but this is going to be our very first mini-series of episodes. You see, we've been having lots of healthy debate across our analyst team about hacking, about data, consumers, regulators, governance and companies and how all of these collide. So this is part one, where we'll be focusing on hacking. In part two, we're gonna get into the nature of the data being hacked. What's it used for? How is it valued by different stakeholders? And how should investors think about this data? And then in part three, we're gonna look at how governance and data intersect. What are the emerging trends in data governance? And what should investors be watching for when they're evaluating the efficacy of a company's data governance practices? Bit of a mouthful, but it'll be great. Now, we're not going to give you some Game of Thrones-esque cliffhangers between these episodes, but if part one tickles your fancy, stay tuned for the follow-ups. We promise they'll be worth it. And so, without further ado, let's get into part one, Hacking. Okay, so I am going to come clean right up front. The idea for this episode wasn't mine originally. I mean, be sure to give me the credit, but for the record, this one actually came from one of our more formidable analysts. And how it came to her is actually kind of cool.
1: Yeah, so it's a... I love TV shows in general, and Homeland, I was binge-watching it a few years back, and at some point, I think it's season one, so I don't want to spoil it for people who have never watched it, but the hero, who's named Brody, he basically tries to kill the vice president of the United States by hacking into his pacemaker uh, to kill him.
0: That's Aurélie Ratt, coming to us from the Paris office. And regarding the inspiration for the show, she's effectively the McDonald's brothers to my Ray Kroc. And what she's doing is breaking down for us how an idea from a TV show about hacking actually became a risk for healthcare companies in the real world.
1: I came across a set of recalls by by a company that's named Abbott, and they started uh, recalling some pacemaker. And the stated reason was that we need to update our software to prevent uh, unauthorized access. So it was just a couple of recalls out of thousands of them, but to me it was a clear sign that the fiction was becoming a reality, because I only had seen this in sort of TV shows. Last year, I looked at recalls even closer, and there it was. You had a few more recalls by, again, this company named Abbott, and another company named Med- Medtronic. So that was, I went from two two sets of recalls to about mm-hmm. 10. And... All again to prevent risks of hacking, which was a clear sign to me that those types of issues
0: are becoming more and more prevalent in the industry. And I asked Orally a lot of questions about this hacking business. And it turns out that while it may be a possible risk, it's not a probable one. At least not yet. Hacking a pacemaker is tricky and probably pretty expensive, right? I mean, you're going to need a Jason Bourne type with an exit strategy and a few fresh catchphrases. And aside from indulging the trope of an evil supervillain, it's not super clear what a hacker would do once they have hacked a pacemaker. It's a tough one to monetize. Basically, it's a lot of squeezing for a little juice. But orally highlighted where hacking is a real risk for healthcare. And not just a probable one, but something happening right now. And that is hackers targeting hospitals. Not to get into their medical devices, but to get their hands on patient data, personal details, medical history, allergies, payment information, you know, which leg needs to be amputated, stuff like that. A study in Annals of Internal Medicine, which is something I do not read on a regular basis, found that from 2009 to 2019, hospitals had 1,461 data breaches, which is about three breaches every week. And around 169 million people have had some form of their personal information stolen. And when it comes to hospitals, hackers are kind of doing one of two things. Either stealing this data to sell it on the dark web. One patient's medical record goes for anywhere between ten dollars and $1,000, depending on the details. Or at least that's what I hear from a friend of a friend whose cousin read it somewhere. And medical data is pretty appealing on the black market because it has a long shelf life. You can change your bank card numbers overnight, but you're kind of stuck with your blood type for life. Or instead of selling data on the dark web, more bolshe hackers are taking over a hospital's data management system, and then ransoming its control back to the administrators for a nice pile of Bitcoin. You see, a hospital basically runs on its patients' data, and being locked out of that system means they pretty much have to stop running the hospital. Hancock Regional Hospital in Indiana, a sweet county hospital with just 76 beds, had its patient's data hacked, encrypted, and then ransomed back in January 2018. But only once the hackers were paid $55,000 in Bitcoin. So you can kind of scale that up and see what the angle is for hacking bigger, richer hospitals. Auckland City Hospital in New Zealand has got about 1,120 beds. St George's Hospital in southwest London has got around 1,300. And New York's Presbyterian Hospital has around 2,500 beds. For these big hospitals, using a back-of-the-envelope calculation from Hancock Regionals' experience, we could be looking at a ransom of anywhere between $800,000 and $2 million for a single hack. That is a lot of jello. Okay, so I haven't forgotten, we started this by talking about hacking pacemakers. But maybe for the healthcare sector, hacking risks aren't so much about devices, but about data. Fair enough. But it's not like healthcare companies can really stop using this data or the smart machines that collect it. They are both critical to their operations, no pun intended. They need them to manage patient records, decide on future treatments, you know, make sure they're cutting off the right leg. And healthcare companies are not alone in this. So many other industries have turned data and smart machines into a central feature of their businesses. From banks to online shopping to hotels to airlines, pretty much all industries have found a way to use new technology to make things work better, or smarter, or more profitably. I mean, even if we take the classic example of a machine that used to run on grease, combustion engines, and crossed fingers, we see an industry that has basically transformed itself through the use of smart technology and data.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting topic. I mean, when my, my first car, actually, I could uh, potentially re- replace a defect light bulb, right? This is not possible anymore in the future, so it's really difficult. You need really, like, software skills to um, yeah, maintain and repair
0: a car. And, and that's Anna Klug, one of our ESG maestros, coming to us from Frankfurt. He keeps a very wary eye on the auto sector. Cars, basically. And cars, in case you haven't noticed, are getting pretty smart. Gone are the days when you could take a spanner and a can of Q20 to your engine, smack it around some, and get it going again. Nowadays, you need to be like an electrical engineer or a master technician to do anything useful. And for car owners that are basically driving aerodynamic computers, there are some serious benefits, like convenience and safety.
2: I mean, you already mentioned some of those aspects, right, the entertainment factor of cars, so driving a car while you're listening to music streaming devices, you you're, you're Connecting maybe your head, uh, your actually mobile phone to the um, yeah, on-board system to to be able to communicate with friends and family and so on. But like a huge actually upside and advantage of connected vehicles is of course also referring to the to the safety of driving. So in the future and. Currently also some new models have the system like that cars could interact with each other, with other cars and other systems. So actually cars could exchange information, um, a reason why a car has to to brake or like a traffic jam is coming up.
0: Yeah. so, So these smart and connected cars could mean a few things. For me, it could mean slipping behind the wheel having the seat warm up to optimal bun toasting temperature and while I slide on my sunglasses hearing the soundtrack to Grease start playing without me having to lift a finger. But I suppose they're also safer. Hundreds of data points, analytics, crash test outputs and constant messaging with surrounding traffic could all add up to a much safer ride. But there are a couple of trade-offs for these convenient safe cars of the future. For one, hacking, right?
2: I mean, there had been some, some cases of, like, hacks. Um, also, I mean, for example, Tesla, they also had, like, competition. So, hackers actually had to um, break into the software of the Tesla free model, and um, they managed to do so. At the moment, not a very material risk for, for, for several car makers these days, but like an emerging risk. And I think once there will be more cases of, of hackers really managing to, 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 yeah, to hack into a car, if like the first uh, person killed due to a hack, um, a successful hack, then the whole technology could be put under a certain kind of, of risk.
0: So it turns out that a smart car is also a hackable car. Forget about a puncture, Or like how annoying it is when the seatbelt sticks and then you've got to like let it slide back in so slowly and then just pull it out ever so gently. If you're behind the wheel of a smart car, you could have a much bigger problem. It could be hacked while you're driving. Holy But a bit like hacking a pacemaker, hacking a car will probably take a Jason Bourne type with a reason and a budget. And a hacker might run into the same problem. What do you do once you've hacked a car? Anarchy? Maybe. Ransom? Probably a long shot. So you don't necessarily need to worry about becoming Sandra Bullock in speed just yet. But cars, just like healthcare companies, do present the same risk for their customers. You see, they're both collecting your data. A lot of it. Smart cars of today know your name, maybe your address, your banking details, your driving behavior, your location, even your music preferences. And if you get into an Uber or a Lyft or a self-driving Tesla, they might be collecting even more of your data. And as that data goes through your smart car to servers or clouds to get aggregated and analyzed, a hacker's spidey senses start tingling. Because that data, all your personal information can be traded for cash money. Again, from what I hear on the streets, your social security number goes for around a dollar, your Spotify account for just under three bucks and your driver's license as much as 20 bucks. All right, so let's zoom out for a second. We've heard from Orly and Anna about what devices are getting hacked. And the more we look at it, the more we see that it's not so much about the device but about the data they're collecting and sending. And it's not just pacemakers or smart cars, right? It's smart watches and smart speakers and phones and tablets and televisions and light switches, coffee machines, baby monitors and even toasters. All of these devices are basically nodes in a massive network that take physical things in the real world and convert them into binary code in cyberspace. And these networks are only getting bigger and faster, which means data is probably gonna be easier to move around, to share, and to steal. And before I spiraled into a panic attack, I hit up CU one of the ESG virtuosos in our New York office. And that's because CU has a special interest in very connected systems, telecoms. Think Verizon, AT&T, Vodafone, companies that handle a lot of data and a lot of sensitive data. And she set me straight on a few things, starting with what type of data is getting hacked and why hacking is getting worse.
3: There are three types of information. One is personal data, like your ID, your date of birth, your name. The other is your sensitive information, which is social security, your financial information. And the third kind of data is behavior data, consumer preference data, your streaming platform your healthcare records and coming into like the age of 5g when more devices are being connected to each other the magnitude of the hacks or the impact of the hack can be something that we've never seen before just because systems are more connected and we are more relying on communication infrastructure for daily services
0: yeah so it turns out we actually have a lot of data that might be interesting to hackers and not just the first stuff we normally think of like bank account records, but data on where we've been, how we shop, and what we listen to. And our smart devices are pumping that data through networks, massive data highways that are getting faster and bigger, which means more data getting sent around. And these data highways end in big juicy data repositories. And it's here on these networks that hackers have really been focusing their efforts, basically on the companies that handle data, move it around and store it. And these companies have a real dilemma how do they handle this mountain of data? Well, they kind of have two options. Option one, outsourcing, baby. Find some helpers, other companies or third parties that can help you take a load off. No way that could go wrong, could it?
3: As telecom kind of grow into, you know, the 5G uh, space, they do have a lot of third party data aggregators that are helping them aggregating the huge amount of data and helping them to manage the data structure. So there, that third-party risk, and that has been actually um, the the center of the attention in U.S. this year, when one of the news outlets find out that a third-party data aggregator of T-Mobile, um, AT&T, Verizon, all the large ones, that um, they they illegally sold the data to unauthorized parties that leverage the consumers' location data for um, tailored services for like advertising basically
0: okay okay so if these massive data companies can't trust third parties to keep your data safe or just to not sell it on to advertising companies then i guess they have to keep it all in-house right like telecom companies should probably maintain all the data they handle and then just make super duper sure that their employees don't make a mistake
3: we do look at you know, whether a company provide training to their employees as part of the management practices of, uh, over the privacy data security risks. I mean, most of the telecom operators, they all have training provided to employees, um, educating them on the privacy issue on how to handle consumer data. However, we do not ha- really have the transparency into what kind of training that the company provides or whether uh, having a criteria in terms of how robust the training is, but you know, the hacking it still happens. Um, training is one thing, but having mechanisms, having preventative mechanisms, encryption is another. I mean Google hired they call what they call ethical hackers. They they host the competition. They invite people to hack their state system so that they can find out what was the loophole and how to improve. I mean that kind of proactive uh, proactive approach is just it's amazing to me. I mean not many companies can actually be that open to invite
0: people to hack their system. Okay, okay. So just forget for a second you swooning about Google's ethical hackathon. What she's basically telling us, and what you can find out by reading the news, is that there are still massive shortfalls in an average company's cybersecurity. Right, I mean, even the stronger systems are still vulnerable to human error. Something like 80% or more of data breaches have been attributed to mistakes made by people. And it looks like pressure from hackers is only going to be heating up. See, any which way you slice this pizza, hacking is becoming more common and more costly. Here are some fast facts for you. From January 2005 to April 2018, there were 8,854 breaches of company company's cybersecurity. Which seems like a lot, right? But recent numbers are even scarier. From 2016 to 2017, attacks involving cryptojacking, which is basically hackers going into cryptocurrency accounts and emptying them, increased 8,500%. Or well, how's this one? In 2018, hackers stole $1.7 billion worth of cryptocurrency. And how's this Apple? By 2021, the overall damage of cybercrime is projected to hit $6 trillion a year, which is a number I cannot even understand. Companies are going to have to do their best to repel hackers, with supercharged employee training, multiple layers of protection, data encryption, cloud storage, you name it. But is hacking a risk they can ever manage completely? It really doesn't sound like it. Hackers are forever going to be throwing new ideas at security systems, so stopping them at best seems to be about being just one step behind. The critical piece for companies is probably knowing how to bounce back when they are hacked. For starters, a worrying number of breaches aren't actually detected until months or even years later. Companies really need to get on that. They'll also need to figure out how to placate regulators that are getting itchy trigger fingers. And maybe, most importantly, they need to work on being more transparent with their customers and compensating them fairly when their data is stolen, not if. Because the trust of a customer can be a fickle thing. And for investors, what do you guys do? Well, it wouldn't hurt to upskill yourselves in the world of hacking and getting comfortable with terms like DDOTs, black hats, or doxing, or botnets and whaling, evil maids, and salting and script kiddies but maybe you also need to think a little deeper and a little further ahead. Maybe it would be worth taking a look at your portfolio and asking yourself, just how vulnerable are my companies to hacking? How prepared are they to repel hackers? Or even how much of these companies' business models are built on hackable data? It's hard to see a scenario where hacking doesn't become a risk for all companies, not one that's restricted to the tech sector or telecoms. Ultimately, and at the end of it all, On behalf of IT departments everywhere, please, 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 be sure to update your passwords. And that's the show. Do stay tuned for parts two and three of our mini-series, where we'll take a closer look at the actual data being hacked and the shape of effective data governance. First off, a superhuman thanks to Aurelie for sparking part one of the series, Thanks to Anna and Siu for their insights, Elaine and Nojan for their research, and to Mike, Megan, Rick and Andrew for some robust debate that brought this episode to life.